And his daughter is on her deathbed. She's 12 years old. And Jairus runs to Jesus, even in the midst of this crowd, and bows down before Jesus and said, Jesus, I need your help. My daughter is dying. Now, if you're a parent, um, this is one of the worst feelings ever. I had a friend of mine uh, recently discovered that she was pregnant. I had another friend. And she was talking to me about how um, she was scared because she drank some coffee. And she was worried that the coffee was going to do something to the baby. And I said, this is just the beginning. When you become a parent, welcome. You are constantly worrying. The greatest fear that you have as a parent is that something will happen to your child. You know, before you have kids, basically your, your greatest fear is that you're going to die. Or something is going to happen to you. But then once you have kids, the fear transfers that something is going to happen to them. This is the subtext of every fear that every parent has. And here now is Jarius. And his greatest fear is coming true. His daughter is dying. Now these people were not trained in medical professions. However, they also knew what death looked like. They didn't die in hospitals. They didn't die in hospice. People died in homes. And so when this girl is on the bed, they had the telltale signs. They knew what death looked like. And she was dying. You got something, John? Yeah. Go for it. Let's leave, let's leave some of that with a couple words. Mm. The first one is uncertainty. The second one is faith. Very good. So Jonathan said the first word is uncertainty, and the second one is faith. This guy is uncertain as to what's about to happen to his daughter, but he's got faith that Jesus is somehow going to fix the problem. And so he bows down before Jesus. He says, Jesus, come help me. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, I got you, man. Let's go. Let's go right now and take care of your little girl. What is he feeling emotionally right now? You've got a shot of hope. Okay. Worst fears are coming true. My daughter's about to die. But then this Jesus guy's going to fix everything. And then something horrible happens. And great at the same time. So a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. I mean, he, he's just getting surrounded by people. They had seen Jesus perform all these crazy miracles. So now they're like, whoa, he's going to do it again. This guy's daughter's in trouble. I bet you he's going to find some way to heal him. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. Now, she, she was losing blood constantly and it was going on for 12 years. Now, all of us know that losing blood constantly is not a very good condition to be in, but combine that with the culture she was in. She was a Jewish woman. In the culture that they were in, losing blood or being in a situation where blood was exposed made you unclean. You weren't allowed to go to church. You weren't allowed to go to synagogue. Here's the thing. You were not even allowed to touch other people. You were unclean. And so not only is this a terrible medical condition, it was also a terrible social condition. 
She was a social outcast. She was unclean. And that also meant she couldn't be around the people of God. So she's in a pretty terrible situation. And this has been going on for 12 years. But this is a very proactive woman. She doesn't sit there and let the trouble overtake her. She goes and starts spending her money on physicians. But none of the physicians could make her better. As a matter of fact, the physicians made her worse. Now, this is not commentary on doctors and medicine, okay? This is not saying that all doctors and all medicine are bad. That's not true. You got a headache, take Tylenol. It's fine. That's not what the text is saying. What the text is saying is that in this particular situation, she could not get healed by the doctors. Like, there are some situations where the natural remedies that God has or the technological abilities that God allows us to have will not solve the problem. There are some problems that are so deep that no human being can fix it. And the more and more and more we go to them, the actually the worse they become. Many of us mistake emotional conditions for spiritual conditions or vice versa. Like many of you, when you say, why am I cycling? Why do I keep making the same crazy decision over and over again? And you have all these different solutions, and then you realize, well, wait a second, I'm getting worse. You would figure, okay, at some point you'll get the hint. This is not working for you. Now look what happens. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. So this is the woman who tried everything, spent all her money on a cure. And the reports get back to her that there is this guy who's claiming to be the Messiah who's healing other people. And so, broke is a choke, and in this horrible condition, she goes to try to see Jesus. Now look what she says. If I even touch his garment, I will be made well. Now why would she think touching Jesus' garments would make her well? This is kind of complex. Stay with me. In the Old Testament, there is a specific verse in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It's kind of famous. It says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Hey, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And so that is a prophecy about the Savior. There is a Savior coming with healing in his wings. Do you know the word wings can also be translated garments. So the Jewish people said, okay, the Messiah is going to be so powerful that if you touch his garments, you'll be healed. And so during the time of Jesus, the Pharisees used to elongate the tassels at the end of their garments because basically they were saying, hey, I might be the guy. That's why Jesus rebuked them for that in Matthew chapter 23. And so they, the Jewish people, they would have these tassels at the end of their garments. And so this woman is saying, if I just get to him and touch him and touch his garments, that prophecy is going to come true for me. I'll be healed. This solves a lot of problems for her. One, she didn't have to touch Jesus directly. Why wouldn't she want to touch Jesus directly? She didn't want to make him unclean. You know what's interesting? I had a very, very wise person tell me one time, he said, look, when you, have a, when you have a puddle of mud, 
and you have a white glove, the mud does not get glovey. The glove gets what? Muddy. You see, this is physics. Even when you talk about cleaning something, when you talk about cleaning clothes, you're not saying that you're going to turn the dirt into something clean. What you're saying is you're going to take the dirt off of the clothes. So she's saying, look, I'm a muddy, muddy person, and Jesus is this awesome white glove walking around. I don't want to touch him and contaminate him, but I can touch his garments and get the healing. See, she, now, now here, here's the point, okay? The point is, all this woman knew was that Jesus could heal her, and all she knew was that she had to get within his vicinity, but her opinion of Jesus was that he was so holy that she shouldn't touch him. This is how some of you are with God. You, you, you know that the healing is found in Christ. You know that your life needs to change. And you want to you wanna get to Jesus within the vicinity of Jesus, but he's so good that you don't want to contaminate him. Now here's the crazy thing. We can contaminate one another. You know, like if you have a crazy, bitter attitude, and then your friend goes up to you and says, man, what's, what's wrong with you? And you start going off with your crazy, bitter attitude. All of a sudden, your friend goes, yeah, that sucks. And all of a sudden, now both of you are miserable. You just contaminated your friend. Okay? This, 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 we do, all of us, 100% of us here do this all the time. Sometimes I get done talking to people. I was like, you know, I was in a good mood. What happened? Oh, I'm like so miserable. Or I go, you know, so-and-so was in a good mood before they talked to me. Now they're not in a good mood. Okay? And we have the ability to contaminate one another. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't share your struggles with your friends. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, if you're the listener, make sure that you're prayed up and make sure you've got a Christ-centered response. Otherwise, you're going to get contaminated. Now, this girl thinks, okay, this is the perfect balance. I can get healed, and I will not contaminate Jesus. Verse 29. And immediately, so she touches him. She does this experiment. It says, immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She knew it. She'd been to all the doctors. They did all the hocus pocus. Nothing worked. And she knew immediately that something had changed in her. Now watch this. At this point, she steals this miracle, and she plans to kind of go back into the background, never to be seen from again. Look what happens. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Jesus like, I am not going to let you get away. Now here, here's something important. Jesus felt the power leave him. So he's looking around and saying, who touched me? Now let me ask you a question. And I don't really know the answer to this question. Do you think Jesus really didn't know who touched him? <clears throat> well, he's 100% God. But he's also 100% man. But he's staring around in the crowd. Who touched me? 
And his disciples said to him, now this is a very important phrase. The disciples said, you see this crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Now this is a, I, I can't believe the disciples talked to Jesus this way. They said, look, bro, there are hundreds of people here. Everybody's squashing on you. And you're asking who touched you. You're asking about one person when there are literally hundreds of people crushing you. I mean, sometimes the crowds would get so huge, Jesus had to run into the sea and chill and teach from a boat because he was going to get crushed by the crowds that were coming from him. What do you mean, who touched you? Do you know what this means? This means that those crowds were pressing on Jesus, but the only touch that he actually felt was a woman coming to him in faith. It's very important. You had hundreds of people this close to Jesus, uncomfortably close. I'm so glad that God didn't make it Jesus. It's a crazy phrase. But to have hundreds of people on you for an introvert is a disaster. I think Jesus is an introvert. He used to go out in the mountains by himself to pray at 3 or 4 in the morning. I completely relate to that. So he's got hundreds of people, and for some reason, that touch sparked him. You know what this says to me? This says to me that reaching out to Jesus in faith and touching him in faith and desperation is a completely different sensation for him than those who are just curiously rumbling about and happen to run into him. He had hundreds of people that were like completely curious. Who is this guy? I want to see the next magic trick. Hundreds of people touching him. Jesus was probably touched by thousands of people in his three and a half year career. And it's very rare that he turned around and said, yeah, but who touched me? Meaning, who touched me in faith? Meaning, who was desperate enough to elbow through the crowd to just get a hand on me? You know, this woman had to fight through hundreds of people to get to Jesus. Hundreds of people to get to Jesus. What does faith look like? Faith looks like your last ounce of strength. Let's think about it. She's losing blood constantly. It means she's always weak. She has no money. She's a woman by herself having to meander through a crowd of hundreds of people. Faith looks like a person in their weakness, struggling, and from the outside looking a little bit rude. Because if you're on the outside, you're like, what's wrong with this lady? Elbowing people, pushing people around, grabbing people, not asking permission, violating Jesus' safe space. Faith sometimes from the outside looks like a very rude, loud person that normally you would say, you got to go. But there's something inside the person that's saying, yeah, but I want this Jesus somehow, some way. I understand that I'm a little dirty, I'm a little grimy, a little loud, elbowing people around, but I want Jesus. Faith sometimes manifests itself in people being a little rough around the edges. So there's, there's this woman. She makes her way through. Jesus says, who touched me? The disciples said, you're crazy. Why are you asking that question? Now look. And he looked around to see who had done it. 
But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She's scared to death. Jesus is not letting the issue go. It's obvious. He, he, doesn't, even, he doesn't even respond to the disciples saying, Who touched that? He's looking around. And they lock eyes, and she knows that he knows. So she goes and throws herself down and says the whole thing. It says, look, it, it's in Luke, it's in Luke chapter 8. She says, look, Jesus, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Started bleeding 12 years ago. Haven't been able to stop. I'm dead broke, and you're my last shot. And I know that I just made you unclean, okay, but I just wanted to touch your garment. And she's scared to death. Because Jesus is this high and mighty, holy Messiah, and she is this unclean person who just was just rough around the edges and just did all this craziness. How is Jesus going to respond to me? She's trembling. Many of us misinterpret what the holiness of God really means. We think the holiness of God means that he can't be within 60 yards of us without evaporating us. You know what the holiness of God means? The holiness of God means that God can transform dirt into something clean. I did not say God can clean the dirt off of you. I am telling you that even if you yourself are dirt, even if you feel like you're dirt, even if you feel like you're scum, God can cleanse even you and transform you into something clean. The holiness of God actually has a cleansing effect on his people. That's very, very important to understand. God reverses the curse. Okay, so in the curse, the mud gets, the glove gets muddy. When Jesus put his hand on somebody, the, glove, the mud gets transformed into cleanliness, to be clean. This is the power of the holiness of God. So she's looking at the holiness of God as God is so clean and pure that he's going to destroy me because I'm dirty. Jesus is saying, actually, no, I'm so clean and pure that even though your touch was supposed to contaminate me, it actually works in reverse. This is why we point people to Jesus and not to ourselves. This is what you do with your bitter, miserable friend. You point them to Jesus. Because if you stay long enough with your bitter friend, you're going to become bitter yourself. Or if you stay long enough with your depressed friend, you're going to become depressed yourself. Point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Okay. Now, how does Jesus respond to her? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Number one, he calls her daughter. Now, for a girl who was in complete exile... For a person who was, who was unclean for 12 years, for a person who was in the community and then out of the community, the first thing she hears out of the mouth of Jesus is a family term. Jesus is saying, I'm going to adopt you. What does this tell us? She accepted. She wasn't going to Jesus for adoption. She wasn't going to Jesus for for deeper peace. She was just going to Jesus for the, the blood problem. You know what this tells me? That whatever you think of Jesus, he's ten times better than whatever you think of him right now. Whatever you're going to Jesus to heal you from, he wants to heal you from more. 
Jesus understood that, yes, she's got a bodily issue, but she also needs to be adopted into the family of God. That's why he calls her daughter. Doesn't use her name. Calls her daughter. And secondly, she needs deep inner peace. Go in peace. Now, she wasn't bargaining for that. Some of you, you, you have a very, very small list of things that you want God to do for you. Because you're too afraid that Jesus is going to run out of gas with you. Or he's going to go, that's too much. Stop asking me. Don't you understand this? There's, there's, there's kids in Africa that don't have any food. What are you asking me for all this stuff for? Isn't it amazing that Jesus ran into this lady on the way to healing a girl that was dying? The girl was dying. And by the way, before you get caught up in the sweetness of the story, think about Jairus while all of this is happening. And we forgot about Jairus, didn't we? Oh, it's a sweet story. Jesus is healing this woman who's bleeding. What are you thinking if you're Jairus? Why are you wasting your time asking who touched you? My daughter's dying. Who cares who touched you? Why are you talking to her? Okay, you healed her. Why are you talking to her? My daughter's dying. You ever been in that situation with God where you feel like your situation is a little bit more desperate than other people? Priorities, dude. And then, right. So in our, this is how we do our math. Jesus should go with the people who are most desperate first and then the less desperate people later. Or even first come, first serve. Because Jairus was first. So he's on the way to solve this like crazy problem, this girl's going to die. And then Jarius is sitting and watching this trivial situation happen, which to him is trivial, because this is not a life and death situation. My daughter's a life and death situation. Why are you helping this lady? This is how some of us are. We're not honest. But we look at the breakthroughs that other people have. And you're like, I know that person. Like, they're not in that crazy situation. Why are they having this crazy spiritual breakthrough with God and you're still leaving me in this horrible mess? Like, I am dying. Or my kids are dying. Or I've got a family member who's going to die. you got people dropping like flies all over the place. Who cares about so-and-so and now they've hit this other spiritual plateau? Good for them. Or you just walked into this person's life and completely changed them. They weren't even looking for you. This has happened the last couple weeks. People not even really looking for God. And then boom. But then here I am, or here you are, crying your eyes out, imploring Jesus, help me, help me, help me. This lady didn't even talk to Jesus and got her healing. She didn't say a word to him. She got her healing. This is how some of you are. How is this possible? So he's wrestling with this. She gets sent on her way. Now, what happens? While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house one who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? This is the voice of Satan. You ever feel like you're just a burden? See right there? Why trouble him any longer? You ever feel like you're just a burden? That people have to just carry you all the time? People get exasperated when they see you. Oh, you. Again. Oh, you. Same problem. The 8,000th time. Well, 
do you believe what I have to say? I'm not going to get you to focus on other people and what other people are saying or trying to figure out if it's the devil or whatever. Jesus is saying, just believe me, trust me, and we're going to make it. Now watch. Verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the rule of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, now this is a strange question from Jesus. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but only sleeping. So Jesus is really asking this question, why are you guys, why are you guys making such a commotion? Now all of us are saying, what do you mean, why are you making a commotion? The 12-year-old girl just died. What do you mean? She just died. That's why we're crying. Now, I, w- I would say to you that these people, on the outset, looked very compassionate toward Jairus and his house, when in reality, they were not. They're actually sent by the devil. You go, oh, Andrew, Andrew, look at this. Look what happens. And they laughed at him. Have you ever, like, genuinely cried over the death of another person? Would you ever in that moment, in your genuine tears, stop and laugh at someone and mock someone? How did the emotions switch so quickly? How did the emotions switch so quickly from ah, screaming and yelling to <laughs> they genuinely laughed at Jesus? These were not people who were truly heartbroken for Jairus. These were people... And if you want to go like into the commentaries, you know, at the time, the Jewish people would actually hire people to cry and yell at their funerals. Like, it was a thing. You would have, like, paid mourners at, at, at your funeral. Okay? Um, these are not people who genuinely care. Now, this is, now, let me explain something to you about life. You're going to have people who are well-meaning people. Well-meaning, love you. But they are miserable, and they almost glory in the fact that you're miserable. So when you're miserable with them, they will wail and cry with you. But then somebody comes in with the voice of faith that says these things can change, and immediately they start laughing at you. They said nothing's going to change. That's a joke. You're going to be just like us for the rest of your life. And you've got to understand how you're going to handle those people. Because initially the voice of Satan was saying you're a burden. Now the voice of Satan is saying, no, you're you're not a burden. You're just like us, and you're always going to be like us. This is what happens. And if anybody comes with the voice of faith that says, no, God's going to change the situation. He promised it. They're going to laugh at you. If you have people like that in your life, I would suggest that you follow Jesus. You say, okay, what did Jesus do? Look what Jesus did. Look how he reacted. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. You know that Greek word for put is ekbalo. You know what ekbalo means? It means to cast out. When I was looking at the definition of the term, it meant to throw out of a boat. Like throw overboard. So these people start laughing, and Jesus puts his hands on them and chucks them outside of the house. I bet you didn't know that about Jesus. So look, when the rough girl is pushing people aside and and trying to get to him, Jesus is absolutely awesome to her. Rewards her for being rude. 
But the religious people that mock and laugh at the possibility that God could actually change the situation, Jesus has no tolerance whatsoever for them. You guys are out of here. Out. Ekbalo. Now let me ask you a question. How do you deal with the mockers in your life? Now look, I'm not telling you to completely get rid of them. What I'm saying is, in this specific situation, Jesus said, it's not appropriate for you guys to be here. Because I am trying to get the faith of this guy to continue. Because he was riding on the faith of this guy. Small as it was, he still wanted the guy to have faith. And he was so crazy about protecting this guy's faith that he threw those people out of the house. Now, how diligent are you at protecting your faith? But some of you come from crazy backgrounds, and you're street smart enough to know that if you don't want to be um, stuck in your old lifestyle style patterns, there are people in your life that you just right now have to separate from. You know that. But let's stop thinking like children and think for adults. What about the people that are destroying your faith? What, what about the people that are mocking and laughing at your faith? Your, your childlike belief that Jesus can change any situation. What about your own voice? Do you chuck those voices out of your head? Or do you sit there and dwell on them? And dwell on them? And dwell on them? You should follow Jesus and throw them out. Some of, some of you, you have this crazy misconception that Jesus was just gentle and nice all the time. Jesus did not throw these people out because he was offended at a personal insult. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And we know what happened when people personally insulted Jesus. He never laid a hand on them. They were coming crucifying and slapping him and spitting him. He didn't touch him. Matter of fact, he said, Father, forgive him. When John chapter 8, people were mocking and saying he's demon possessed. Jesus never got offended. Jesus never put his hands on them. But when these people were about to question this guy's faith and destroy the little faith that he had, he goes, you're out of here. That's important. That tells you how important cultivating your faith and creating an environment where faith is cultivated is. Now our street smart friends are smart enough to know, I'm not going to hang around with that guy because if I do, I'm going to end up doing something I don't need to do. You've got patterns of thought that are destructive. You've got to make sure how you're managing who you're around. So he brings them up. <coughs> he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. There she is in our, on her deathbed. And Jesus says to her, I'm saying, get up. Now, we talked about being spiritually alive and spiritually dead with Adam and Eve. And we talked about how Adam and Eve were spiritually alive when they would hear the voice of God. They would run to him, and spiritual death meant that when they heard the voice of God, they ran away from him. And you've got a whole city full of people who are spiritually dead. Like, stop right now and think about that one person who you like are like, they are really, really dead. 
Like, we, we, you got a couple people in your life, and you're like, man, that person will never come to life in the gospel. They're like outside of the parameter of God's salvation. And Jesus is saying, man, when I show up in that room, I say to you, he's saying this on my own authority, you have to get up. It's actually a command. Jesus doesn't ask her to be alive. He commands her to be alive. A person becomes spiritually alive. We talked about this yesterday. Because God calls them to it. He didn't, he didn't nicely say, little girl, if you would just oblige me and get up off of this bed. He commands her to resurrect from the dead. And look at verse 42. She obeys him. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking. And she was 12 years of age. Isn't that interesting? The woman had this blood disease for how many years? 12. How old is this girl? 12. So these completely disconnected events actually were very connected in the mind of God. Both these events were connected in the mind of God. Both of these people's lives intersected with one another, and they didn't even know it. So when you see your friend getting that breakthrough, or you see that friend getting that miracle, your friend gets that revelation, there's two options that you have. You can go, whoa, Jesus loves that guy more than me. You can say, Jesus loves that girl more than me. Or you can say, me and that person are intertwined somehow. That there is a plan for the both of us somehow. And faith says, if he did it for her, then he can do it for me. Satan says, if he did it for her, that means he doesn't want to do it for you. What do you got, Jonathan? Yeah. We were saying about that, the, the, we have that destructive mind, and we also have a corrective mind. Right. Right. So he was talking there's about... A, there's a difference between good and evil, and some of us know what it is. Very good. And we got to get around the people that are going to encourage us to a constructive mind, not a destructive mind. Corrected. Corrected, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for the correction. But you see, these people, you know, Mark says, oh, by the way, she's 12 years old. They were connected. So the moment this girl was born, basically, okay, is also the time when this woman started her bleeding. Like God has connected our tragedies to one another. Don't you see that when you talk more and more to people? That your personal tragedies are connected to one another. And so when you see your friend getting healed from their personal tragedy, you ought to celebrate. Because that means that yours is on the way. You see your friend getting a breakthrough, you ought to celebrate. That means yours is on the way. Do you know why God connects us in our personal tragedies? One, because... He wants us to have deeper and more abiding fellowship with one another. Like he links us in our pain. Jarius, for the rest of his life, every time he looks at that daughter of his, who else's daughter is he going to think about? Jesus' daughter that he healed from the bleeding, you see. And he's going to remember, man, when I thought that Jesus forgot about me, by healing a woman who had been in trouble for 12 years. The entire time, it was so that I would remember that Jesus did a miracle for both of us. See, this is the question. Are we focused on ourselves only? Or 
do we want to celebrate when Jesus does breakthroughs for all of us? So what I would say to you is if you've got a friend who is making strides and doing it and going all over the place for the Lord and they're excited, don't be jealous in the sense of God's never going to do that for me. Be excited because it means that God's moving and it's only a matter of time. I pray that God would give us a faith that these people have. Here's the other thing. What if you are the mocker at the party? What if you're the mocker at the party? What if I'm the mocker at the party? Here's the question. Have you ever been the mocker at the party? Have you ever heard somebody say something that God was going to do, and you're like, nah, man. Is it how cute? Like, nobody ever reads these stories and says, Jesus would grab hold of me and check me out the house. In love. And I love you, but you got to go. All I'm saying is, we've got to take developing each other's faith as seriously as Jesus did. Let's take faith seriously. We know we have a mission for the city, but it's going to be impossible for us to maintain the work that we need to do without faith. You're going to see things that completely discourage you. You're going to have ups and downs. I mean, think about the, the day Jarius had. Down, daughter's dying. Oh, Jesus is here. He just happens to be here. I'm going to go to Jesus. Jesus said he's going to heal my kid. Great, super duper high. And then his day begins to get worse as Jesus is pausing. And then he hits rock bottom when he hears that his daughter's dead. We're going to need as much faith as we all can possibly muster with one another in order to accomplish what Alex charged us to do tonight. So that means that we've got to take it seriously. And we've got to be the kind of people that will elbow our way to touch the garment of Jesus. We've got to be the type of people that encourage other people. We've got to be the type of people that when we're worn down by our friends, instead of just saying, I'm worn down by your constant complaining, pointing them lovingly back to Jesus. All of those are things that will build faith. The other stuff are going to destroy faith. And everything hinges on whether or not we have that belief in Christ and whether or not we create an environment where others who are full of doubts can have faith and belief in Christ. Alright. Let's pray. Seth, I'll pray. I want to be a martyr about God. He comes up on me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Riley. That that's that's not that's not good, Riley. No, no, he's alright, but let's pray. Alright, let's pray. Seth says let's pray, you gotta listen to Seth. Jesus, thank you. Seth, that's right, dude. Thank you so much for, for your word, God. God, I thank you for Jarius and that woman you healed. And that little girl, God, I pray that we would be men and women of faith. I pray that we would have ever-increasing trust in you, God. God, I pray when the, that when we get burdened, overburdened with our friends, God, that we would point them to you and that they would go to you, God. God, I thank you for your healing power. God, I pray that many in our city would touch your garments, God, and that they would be adopted as sons and daughters. Thank you for the cross, and we thank you that one day you're going to call our names and command us to rise bodily. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.